Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found at the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link on every page and post. Tonight's story, The Gold Bug by Edgar Allan Poe. What ho, what ho, this fellow is dancing mad. He hath been bitten by the tarantula. All in the wrong. Many years ago, I contracted an intimacy with a Mr. William Legrand. He was of an ancient Huguenot family and had once been wealthy, but a series of misfortunes had reduced him to want. To avoid the mortification consequent upon his disasters, he left New Orleans, the city of his forefathers, and took up his residence at Sullivan's Island near Charleston, South Carolina. This island is a very singular one. It consists of little else than the sea sand and is about three miles long. Its breadth at no point exceeds a quarter of a mile. It is separated from the mainland by a scarcely perceptible creek, oozing its way through a wilderness of reeds and slime, a favorite resort of the Mark Hen. The vegetation, as might be supposed, is scant, or at least dwarfish. No trees of any magnitude are to be seen. Near the western extremity, where Fort Moultrie stands and where there are some miserable frame buildings, Near the western extremity, where Fort Moultrie stands and where are, are some miserable frame buildings, tenanted during summer by the fugitives from Charleston dust and fever, may be found indeed the bristly palmetto. But the whole island, with the exception of this western point, and a line of hard white beach on the seacoast, is covered with a dense undergrowth of the sweet myrtle so much prized by the horticulturists of England. The shrub here often attains the height of fifteen or twenty feet, and forms an almost impenetrable coppice, burning the air with its fragrance. In the inmost recesses of this coppice, not far from the eastern or more remote end of the island, Legrand had built himself a small hut, he occupied when I first, by mere accident, made his acquaintance. This soon ripened into friendship, for there was much in the recluse to excite interest and esteem. I found him well-educated with unusual powers of mind, but infected with misanthropy and subject to perverse moods of alternate enthusiasm and melancholy. He had with him many books, but rarely employed them. His chief amusements were gunning and fishing, or sauntering along the beach and through the myrtles, in quest of shells or entomological specimens. His collection of the latter might have been envied by a swamidum. In these excursions... He was usually accompanied by an old man named Jupiter, who had been manumitted before the reverses of the family, but who could be induced, neither by threats nor by promises, to abandon what he considered his right of attendance upon the footsteps of his young will. It is not improbable that the relatives of Legrand, conceiving him to be somewhat unsettled in intellect, had contrived to instill this obstinacy into Jupiter with a view to the supervision and guardianship of the wanderer. The winters in the latitude of Sullivan's Island are seldom very severe, and in the fall of the year it is a rare event indeed when the fire is considered necessary. 
About the middle of October, 18, there occurred, however, a day of remarkable chilliness. Just before sunset, I scrambled my way through the evergreens to the hut of my friend, whom I had not visited for several weeks, my residence being at that time in Charleston, a distance of nine miles from the island. All the facilities of passage and repassage were very far behind those of the present day. Upon reaching the hut, I rapped, as was my custom, and getting no reply, sought for the key where I knew it was secreted, unlocked the door, and went in. A fine fire was blazing upon the hearth. It was a novelty, and by no means an ungrateful one. I threw off an overcoat, took an armchair by the crackling logs, and awaited patiently the arrival of my hosts. Soon after dark they arrived and gave me a most cordial welcome. Jupiter, grinning from ear to ear, bustled about to prepare some marsh hens for supper. Legrand was in one of his fits, how else shall I term them, of enthusiasm. He had found an unknown bivalve forming a new genus, and more than this, he had hunted down and secured, with Jupiter's assistance, a scarabaeus, which he believed to be totally new, but in respect to which he wished to have my opinion on the morrow. And why not tonight, I asked, rubbing my hands over the blaze and wishing the whole tribe of Scarabay at the devil. Ah, if I only had known you were here, said Legrand. But it's so long since I saw you, and how could I foresee that you would pay me a visit this very night of all others? As I was coming home, I met a lieutenant from the fort, and very foolishly, I lent him the bug. So it will be impossible for you to see it until the morning. Stay here tonight, and I will send you down for it at sunrise. It is the loveliest thing in creation. What? Sunrise? No. Nonsense! No, the bug! It is of a brilliant gold color, about the size of a large hickory nut, with two jet black spots near one extremity of the back, and another somewhat longer at the other. The antenna, uh, there's no tin in him. Well, I keep telling you, here interrupted Jupiter. The bug is a gulwag, solid, every bit of him, inside and all except his wing. Never felt so half a heavy bug in my life. Well, suppose it is, Jupe, replied Legrand. Somewhat more earnestly, it seemed to me, than the case demanded. Is that any reason for your letting the birds burn? The color, here he turned to me is really almost enough to warrant Jupiter's idea. You never saw a more brilliant metallic luster than the scales emit, but of this you cannot judge till tomorrow. In the meantime, I can give you some idea of the shape. Saying this, he seated himself at a small table on which were a pen and ink, but no paper. He looked for some in a drawer, but found none. Never mind, he said at length, this will answer and he drew from his waistcoat pocket a scrap of what I took to be very dirty foolscap, and made upon it a rough drawing with a pen. While he did this, I retained my seat by the fire, for I was still chilly. When the design was complete, he handed it to me without rising. As I received it, a loud growl was heard, succeeded by a scratching at the door. Jupiter opened it, and a large Newfoundland, belonging to Legrand, rushed in, leaped upon my shoulders, and loaded me with caresses for I had shown him much attention during previous visits. When his gambles were over, I looked at the paper, and, to speak the truth, found myself not a little puzzled at what my friend had depicted. Well, I said, after contemplating it for some minutes, 
This is a strange scarabaeus, I must confess. Who, to me, never saw anything like it before. Unless it was a skull or a death's head, which it more nearly resembles than anything else that has come under my observation. A death's head, echoed the Oh, yes, well, it has something of that appearance upon paper, no doubt. The two upper black spots look like eyes, eh? and the longer one at the bottom like a mouth. And then the shape of the hole is oval. Perhaps so, said I, but, Legrand, I fear you are no artist. I must wait until I see the beetle itself if I am to form any idea of its personal appearance. Well, I don't know, said he a little nettled. I draw tolerably, should do it at least. I've had good masters and flatter myself that I am not quite the blockhead. But, my dear fellow, you are joking then, said I. This is a very passable skull. Indeed, I may say that it is a very excellent skull. According to the vulgar notions about such specimens of physiology, and your scarabaeus might be the oddest scarabaeus in the world if it resembles it. Why, we may get up on a very thrilling bit of superstition upon this hint. I presume you will call the bug Scarabaeus Caput Humanus, or something of that kind. There are similar titles in the natural histories. But where are the antennae you speak of? The antenna, said Legrand, who seemed to be getting unaccountably warm upon the subject. I am sure you must see the antenna. I made them as distinct as they are in the original insect, and I presume that is sufficient. Well, well, I said, perhaps you have. Still, I don't see them. And I handed him the paper without additional remark, not wishing to ruffle his temper. But I was much surprised at the turn affairs had taken. His ill humor puzzled me. And as for the drawing of the beetle, there were positively no antenna visible, and the whole did bear a very close resemblance to the ordinary cuts of a death's head. He received the paper very peevishly, and was about to crumple it, apparently, to throw it into the fire, when a casual glance at the design seemed suddenly to rivet his attention. In an instant, his face grew violently red, and another excessively pale. For some minutes, he continued to scrutinize the drawing minutely where he sat. At length, he arose, took a candle from the table, and proceeded to seat himself upon a sea chest in the farthest corner of the room. Here again he made an anxious examination of the paper, turning it in all directions. He said nothing, however, and his conduct greatly astonished me. Yet I thought it prudent not to exacerbate the growing moodiness of his temper by my comment. Presently he took from his coat pocket a wallet, placed the paper carefully in it. Presently he took from his coat pocket a wallet, placed the paper carefully in it, and deposited both in a writing desk, which he locked. He now grew more composed in his demeanor, but his original air of enthusiasm had quite disappeared. Yet he seemed not so much sulky as abstracted. As evening wore away, he became more and more absorbed in reverie, from which no sallies of mine could arouse him. It had been my intention to pass the night at the hut, as I had frequently done before, but seeing my host in this mood, I deemed it proper to take leave. He did not press me to remain, but as I departed, 
He shook my hand with even more than his usual cordiality. It was about a month after this, and during the interval I had seen nothing of Legrand, when I received a visit at Charleston from his man, Jupiter. I had never seen the good man look so dispirited, and I feared that some serious disaster had befallen my friend. Well, Jupe, said I, what is the matter now? How's your friend? Why, to speak the truth, he's not as very well as he should be. Not well? I am truly sorry to hear it. What does he complain of? That's it. He never complains of nothing, but he's very sick for all that. Very sick, Jupiter. Why didn't you say so at once? Is he confined to bed? No, he's not. He's not fined anywhere. That's just what he did. My mind has got to be very heavy today about poor Will. Jupiter, I should like to understand what it is you are talking about. Say he's sick. Hasn't he told you what ails him? It's not worthwhile to get mad about the matter. Will will say nothing at all about the matter with him. What he makes about going about looking this here way with his head down and his shoulders up and as white as a goose. And then he keeps a siphon all the time. Keeps a what? A siphon with the figures on the slate. The oddest figures I ever did see. I was getting to be scared, I tell you. The other day he gave me the slip before the sun up and was gone the whole blessed day. I had a big stick ready cut for to give him a denounced good beating when he did come, but he's such a fool that I hadn't the heart after all. He looked so very poorly. Ah, uh, what? Ah, yes. Upon the whole, I think you had better not be too severe with the poor fellow. Hey, what? Ah, yes. Upon the whole, I think you had better not be too severe with the poor fellow. Don't flog him, Jupiter. He can't very well stand it. But can you form no idea of what has occasioned this illness, or rather this change of conduct? Has anything unpleasant happened since I saw you? No, there's been nothing unpleasant since then. Ah, uh, was before then, I'm afraid. Twas the very day you were there. How? How do you mean? Why, the bug. It's there now. The what? The bug. I'm very certain that Will has been somewhere. The bug. I'm very certain that Will has been bitten somewhere. The bug. I'm very certain that Will has been bit somewhere about the head by that old bug. And what cause of you, Jupiter, for such a supposition? Close enough, I've never seen such a deuced bug. He kicks and he bites everything what's come near him. Will will catch him first, but had to let him go. Will caught him first, but had to let him go really quick, I tell you. Then was the time he must have gotten the bite. I didn't like the look of the old bug myself anyhow, so I wouldn't take hold of him with my finger. But I caught him with a piece of paper. I wrapped him up in the paper and stuffed a piece of it in his mouth. That was the way. And you think, then, that Will was really bitten by the beetle and that the bite made him sick? I don't think nothing about it. I know it. 
What made him dream about the gold so much if it wasn't being bitten by the gold bug? I've heard about these gold bugs. Well, how do you know he dreams about gold? How? Because he talks about it in his sleep. That's how I know. Well, Jupe, suppose you are right. But to what fortunate circumstance am I to attribute the honor of a visit from you today? What's the matter? Did you bring any message from Mr. Legrand? Nope, I have this epistle. And here Jupiter handed me a note which ran thus. My dear, why have I not seen you for so long a time? I hope you have not been so foolish as to take offense at any little brusquerie of mine. But no, that is improbable. Since I saw you, I have had great cause for anxiety. I have something to tell you, yet scarcely know how to tell it, or whether I should tell it at all. I have not been quite well for some days past, and poor old Jupe annoys me almost beyond endurance by his well-mannered intentions. Would you believe it? He had prepared a huge stick the other day with which to chastise me for giving him the slip and spending the day solace among the hills on the mainland. I verily believe that my ill looks alone saved me a flogging. I have made no addition to my cabinet since we met. If you can in any way make it convenient, come over with Jupiter. Do come. I wish to see you tonight. Upon business of importance, I assure you that it is of the highest importance. Ever yours, William Legrand. There was something in the tone of this note which gave me great uneasiness. Its whole style differed materially from that of Legrand. What could he be dreaming of? What new crochet possessed his excitable brain? What business of the highest importance could he possibly have to transact? Jupiter's account of him boded no good. I dreaded lest a continued pressure of misfortune had, at length, fairly unsettled the reason of my friend. Without a moment's hesitation, therefore, I prepared to accompany Jupiter. Upon reaching the wharf, I noticed a scythe and three spades, all apparently new, lying in the bottom of the boat which we were to embark. "'What's the meaning of this, Jupe?' I inquired. Uh, "'It's a scythe uh, and a spade.' "'Very true, but what are they doing here?' Ah, uh, that's what Will insisted upon my buying for him in the town, and the devil's own lot of money I had to give for them. But what, in the name of all that is mysterious, is Will going to do with sides and spades? That's more than I know, and devil take me if I don't believe it's more than he knows, too. But it's all cause of the bug. Feeling that no satisfaction was to be obtained of Jupiter, whose whole intellect seemed to be absorbed by the bug, I now stepped into the boat and made sail. With the fair and strong breeze, we soon ran into the little cove to the northward of Fault Maltry, and a walk of some two miles brought us to the hut. It was about three in the afternoon when we arrived. Legrand had been awaiting us in eager expectation. He grasped my hand with a nervous impressment which alarmed me, and strengthened the suspicions already entertained. His countenance was pale even to ghastliness, and his deep-set eyes glared with unnatural luster. After some inquiries respecting his health, I asked him, not knowing what better to say, if he had yet obtained the scarabaeus from the lieutenant. Oh, yes, he replied, coloring violently. I got it from him the next morning. Nothing should tempt me to part with that scarabaeus. Do you know that Jupiter is quite right about it? 
In what way, I asked, with a sad foreboding at heart. In supposing it to be a bug of real gold. He said this with an air of profound seriousness, and I felt inexpressibly shocked. This bug is to make my fortune, he continued with a triumphant smile, to reinstate me in my family possessions. Is it any wonder, then, that I prize it? Since fortune has thought fit to bestow it upon me, I have only to use it properly, and I shall arrive at the gold of which it is the index. Jupiter, bring me that scarabaeus. What, the bug? I'd rather not go too near that bug. You must get him yourself. Hereupon the grand arose with a grave and stately air and brought me the beetle from a glass case in which it was enclosed. It was a beautiful scarabaeus and at that time unknown to naturalists, of course a great prize in a scientific point of view. There were two round black spots near one extremity of the back and a long one near the other. The scales were exceedingly hard and glossy with all the appearance of burnished gold. The weight of the insect was very remarkable, and taking all things into consideration, I could hardly blame Jupiter for his opinion respecting it, but what to make of Legrand's concordance with that opinion I could not, for the life of me, tell. I sent for you, said he, in a grandiloquent tone, when I completed my examination of the beetle. I sent for you that I might have your counsel and assistance in furthering the views of fate of the bug. My dear Legrand, I cried, interrupting him. You are certainly unwell, and it better use some little precautions. You shall go to bed, and I will remain with you a few days until you get over this. You are feverish, and feel my pulse, said he. I felt it, and to say the truth, found not the slightest indication of fever. But you may be ill and yet have no fever. Allow me this once to prescribe for you. In the first place, go to bed. In the next, you are mistaken, he interposed. I am as well as I can expect to be under the excitement which I suffer. If you really wish me well, you will relieve this excitement. And how is this to be done? Very easily. Jupiter and myself are going on an expedition into the hills, upon the mainland, and in this expedition... We shall need the aid of some person in whom we can confide. You are the only one we can trust. Whether we succeed or fail, the excitement which you now perceive in me will be equally allayed. I am anxious to oblige you in any way, I replied, but do you mean to say that this infernal beetle has any connection with your expedition into the hills? It has. Then, Legrand, I, I can become a party to no such absurd proceeding. I am sorry. Very sorry, for we shall have to try it by ourselves. Try it by yourselves? The man is surely mad. But stay, how long do you prepare to be absent? Probably all night. We shall start immediately and be back by all events by sunrise. And will you promise me upon your honor that when this freak of yours is over and the bug business Good God, settle to your satisfaction. You will then return home and follow my advice implicitly as that of your physician? Yes, I promise. We'll return with and our story on our off. next episode. We have no time to lose. I want to remind you that we're always on the hunt for great stories like this one to feature in the show. And if you have any suggestions, 
please email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>